are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics podcast, part of the Weird Science family, a podcast that include our DC Comics stuff, our manga stuff, and even our indie stuff. So here we are. And if you're playing at home, you'll realize that there's been a bit of a delay. In the main show, we still end up having the weekly deal going with Jason and Ruben doing the X-Men stuff, and then me and my man Matt doing the Star Wars stuff. But the main show here has fallen a couple of weeks behind. So what I'm going to do is have a couple shows in a row just me, myself, and I going through some of the stuff that we have missed and some of the new stuff and trying to get together a different type of format, a different way of doing things. Why the delay was just that I was sick. I ended up getting COVID for the third time. Third time's a charm, they say. And actually, it hit me harder than all the other times, it seems. But we're back. We're back now, and we're going to do some things here. And like I said, this is going to be all of a recap show. Books that I'm going to talk about today are all the stuff that came out a week or so ago. Some big bangers that came out, some number ones, some fine, and maybe some that are actually number twos as well. Oh, my. And we'll try to have fun with it. Try to get through these in a little more of a let's talk about how we feel about the books instead of just going play-by-play, page-for-page. That's the thing that kind of was starting to drag me down on all of our shows. So we're going to try to do it a little different ways. But before we get into these, please go over to Twitter at WSMarvelComics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. And then go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, where we have reviews. I say we. It's mostly my man Gabe. But... We end up having reviews for a lot of the books that come out each and every week from Marvel. And then finally, if you like what you hear, maybe listen to all the other podcasts and want more, 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 you can go over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash weird science, where you can get a, a ton of shows and a bunch of Marvel shows as well. So with all of that, let's settle down a little. You know, getting all excited here. Let's settle down and we'll get into the books right now. All right, let's kick things off with The Amazing Spider-Man number 11, of course, written by Zeb Wells. Pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcelo Menez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And I'm going to start this off by just saying the idea that I keep complaining and keep bitching and moaning about the, the six months ago. What happened in York, Pennsylvania? Oh, my God. It seems like York, Pennsylvania, which I've been to. I'm from Pennsylvania. It's a couple hours away. But it's like what happens in York, Pennsylvania stays in York, Pennsylvania. I know it's a bit of a sus town. But seriously, people have been complaining. And I have, like I said, about what is going on here, Zeb Wells. What did Peter do? What ended up happening that made everybody pissed off at Peter, made Aunt May go in debt, made a guy who comes a collection guy who's just sitting outside Peter's stoop 24-7 at points, and what led Mary Jane to pretty much have a family and kids and all this other stuff. I'm at a point now in issue number 11 where I'm starting to be indifferent to it. I'm starting to not care. And I'm not saying that I'm not caring because, man, everything else is so great and I can't wait to see what happens each month. So, eh, whatever, I'll wait to see what happens. I'm indifferent to the way of I really don't care anymore and it just has gone on too long. There is a play here. When you have a mystery like that, how long is too long? It's the idea of somebody keeps telling you, hey, I have a secret I'm going to tell you. And then they don't tell you. And you keep saying at first, like, well, what's the secret? I want to know the secret. Oh, my God. It must be really juicy. The longer that they don't tell you, the longer they say, oh, I can't tell you right now. I'll tell you next week. And then the next week, oh, I'll tell you in a month. You start to figure, well, I guess it's not that important. And you kind of move on. And that's kind of where I am there. And it's kind of a shame because I do want to know what's happening. But I think that now it's going on that it can't possibly be something that is going to wow me anymore. It's a weird play. Maybe it will when it comes out, but I've kind of just left it aside and we'll see how this goes. And in this issue, even have on the cover, 
the return of Hobgoblin. But which one? And I saw some people real excited about the Hobgoblin. Now, I've told a lot of people, and especially, you know, this podcast, that I am not a longtime Spider-Man reader. I ended up jumping on all of the Marvel stuff with Fresh Start. Fresh Start. So in that, the Hobgoblin, yeah, I know, big, but it's not going to be something that's going to be that thing for me. But I want it to be starting now. So we'll see. How this goes on, where we start off with Betty Brant talking to Peter on the phone, and it's a nice little conversation. Yeah, me and Ned are doing well. The baby's fine. Peter had sent a chemistry set for a newborn because he's like that. She even says, we'll wait till he's like 12 or 13 to get to that one. But it's a nice deal, and it's nice to see Peter talking to somebody who's actually happy to talk to him. That is a cool thing, but you end up where... There's a crash, and she runs into baby Winston's room, and there you have the hobgoblin holding the baby. I will not let anybody hurt him. So this will lead you to believe that the hobgoblin, the return is Ned Leeds. So that makes sense in an issue that we will have Roderick Kingsley in as well. So you end up having the stuff, and we're going to continue a bunch of things in here. We have Norman Osborn and Peter working together. Somehow Kamala Khan has become some sort of tech genius. I think that Bruno and her own little world is going to be very upset about that. That's his shtick. But I'll go from that. But the idea that Norman is sus, this is the whole deal. I mean, everybody is waiting for the heel turn from Norman to happen. And every time Zeb Wells tries to make you think that's going to happen, he pulls the rug out and there's Norman actually not being sus. He's trying to do what I would say is the Norman Osborn Redemption Tour 2022-2023. Well, we'll call it that. I want to get a tour shirt where we have all the things going on, and you cross it off. It's like dealing with the Hobgoblin. Cross it off. Nope. Actually giving Roderick Kingsley back his empire. We'll have it like that because you end up where Norman seems distracted and seems kind of you know easily triggered at this point. He yells at Peter and Kamala. And then is looking at somebody yelling, oh, I don't care about the legality of it, making you think sus. And then even Ned goes to talk to Peter and says, hey, I have some pictures. Your old Norman, he's dealing with Roderick Kingsley. I think they're up to no good. Goblin hobgoblin deal. Oh, no, it's a team up. And when Peter confronts Norman about that, Norman actually says, no, 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 no. What I'm doing here is when Roderick went bad. I ended up legally grabbing his empire, and he's kind of pissed off about that. And Yeah, I think that part of my redemption tour, 2022-2023, I'm going to end up giving him back his empire. Just give it back to him. That surprises Peter because, yeah, that's not sus. That's actually showing that he has turned a new leaf. Now, Norman says, Roderick, he hasn't necessarily turned a new leaf, but I'm going to meet him and I'm going to give him his empire back now if you think that this is going to happen at a boardroom you know on a wednesday at 1 p.m it's not it's going to happen and that's the problem here when you're going to legally give something back to somebody i don't know that you want to set up the meeting thursday midnight at the docks but that's me i don't set up a lot of meetings here peter doesn't like the sound of it said i'll go with you i'll make sure that you're okay now it seems like it was set up that They weren't going to go with people. Norman has to show up alone. I get that. I get that Peter might be hiding somewhere. But by the end of this issue, all I could think of is, where where are you, Peter? Where's Spider-Man? But the thing that I really like in this issue is, and I'll preface with the idea, if Mary Jane is going to have her own family, not want to talk to Peter and have these kids calling her mommy, Peter's got to move on, at least for now. And I know that a lot of people are upset about it, but Peter goes to Felicia and actually asked her out on a date. And to the point where he says, you're always asking me out. You know, Felicia, she's a strong gal. So Peter thinks, I'm going to change the script here. I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to ask you out for once. And actually, Felicia really likes that. And I really like Black Cat, especially stuff in the Jed McKay books. So I'm all for this. I don't mind this. If you're going to have Mary Jane off doing her thing, and maybe eventually we find out what that is, but when we do and if it fixes or whatnot, in the meantime, why not? I mean, there's Felicia, Peter, and Felicia together. I actually 
do enjoy. But at the end of this issue, you end up having this meeting at the docks. Norman goes to talk to Roderick Kingsley, and they're going to exchange papers. Roderick takes this as a, well, I think I can make you do anything now. You're my dog now, Norman. He's kind of a jerk about this, especially because he thought they were going to go and he brings his, you know, big dudes behind him that there was going to be a fight or said, there's no fight. Here he is. Norman says, here's the papers. All of a sudden you hear a noise. It's a little hobgoblin noise. And I like where Norman goes to Roderick. What's going on? Roderick's like, I'm right here. It's not me. Something else. And all of a sudden explosions. And then the cliffhanger where it is the hobgoblin on his glider saying tonight, your acrid crop comes to harvest and madness rides the night wind. Oh my God. What's going on again? Kind of pushing towards the idea of it being Ned Leeds. And then you do actually have after that, because I consider that the cliffhanger. But then you go almost like an epilogue back to Betty and Ned's apartment where somebody off panel, you would have expected to be Ned, says, hey, don't worry, little Winston. They're in the room with the baby. And Betty's there with her tablet right there. Fall. She fell asleep, which happens. But he says, I just gave mommy a little something to help her rest. I hope it's not like heroin. I don't think it is heroin, but who knows? And says she was tired. We did a lot of good things this evening. We did a lot of good work. So you're wondering, okay, what the heck? And it's a decent issue. I mean, I end up, when I'm talking about it right now, I'm actually getting a little more excited about it. And I said, trying to move on to, hey, what's in the here and now? Let's see what's going on. I saw a lot of people excited about the Hobgoblin stuff. So in that, I like the art. I like the story enough. I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10. And, yeah, it's a cool cliffhanger. Let's see what's going on with the whole Ned Leeds, Roderick Kingsley, even Norman. And where's Peter? Where is he? He said he would be there. He said, he, I won't take no for an answer. You're going to need protection. I'm going to be there. So I figure Spider-Man's just going to come out of the shadows now to fight with the Hobgoblin next issue. And, and I'll be there for it. So I'm going to go, again, solid 8. And we'll move on to the next book. Now, next up is Daredevil number four, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Raphael De La Tour, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this is a book that restarted after Devil's Reign with both Elektra and Matt as Daredevils. And they were going to restart the fist to go against the hand. Luckily, the foot still with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that's not going to get involved, maybe. But we are heading to what seems to be maybe a crossover event type deal with the Punisher being that fist of the beast in the hand. It's it's all wrapped up around and all this stuff going on. But in this issue, you get something huge. You get the wedding of Elektra and Matt, but it's kind of the asterisk. It's the wedding of the king and queen of the fist to bring back the fist. So I didn't see a lot of people really going on and on about that in an issue that up until that point it does feel big enough but it also feels like one of those setup chapters hey we're gonna have a lot of fights going on but then when you end with that quote-unquote wedding it does make it bigger but in the meantime throughout this issue you end up jumping back between the point of view and the narration of cole north who along with foggy is brought to electra's island the island of the fist here and then through Matt's narration and things about, hey, I really am in love with Kirsten, but I also love Elektra and and stuff like that. We meet a couple new characters, some of the, you know, thugs of the new fist, and they're okay. You end up with this Moni and a jab. Moni in the middle, I heard. But you end up where all of this goes to just, you know, maybe get people acquainted with Cole a little more if you haven't read the first run of Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, which you should. It's great. And kind of settling in with this deal, you establish that Matt really does not like stick when they go there. But you have all of these kind of cast-offs that are going to be part of the fist ruled by Elektra and Matt. They're doing their training while Cole tries to fit in. Foggy just sits to the side. And Matt and Elektra are told by Stick that to do this ceremony. And I didn't know when even... Jason was questioning, like, what's going on with this wedding? What's happening? Well, we see that's part of the prophecy. And we see what happens is that Matt and Electra, they do have to go and climb up this huge mountain, get to this cave where 
the soles of the hand, all of the hand are there and they have to fight through it. And I like the way that Electra says, it's been a while since the fist has been around, so we're going to have to fight a lot of souls. And what you have to do is defeat the souls of the hand so that the fist can rise again. And while that's happening, you end up seeing Cole get, quote unquote, acquainted with my man Moni in the middle. This big thug who comes at first, this one lady comes up to Cole and like, hey, they call me Smasher because I like to smash. I'm like, all right, lady, you know, you're coming on a little too strong. But she goes off and then this Moni comes in like, hey, you smell like a regular person. I believe that that means that he's bathed in the past week or so, maybe using like some old spice or something. Right. You know, so the idea you smell like a real person and those real people, they get people killed. So you want to, Cole wants to do this, and it seems like Cole needs to almost play the idea of, okay, I got to take down the biggest guy in the prison deal. And he starts kind of training, thinking about how he's not been this scared or uncertain about things in a while. And this guy shows up, hey, you want to fight? And they start fighting. And it's going to be, in my mind, one of those, like, you have to fight before you become best friends. This guy, Moni, needs Cole to prove that he can stand on his own and actually fight. It's not huge, but I love Cole. Cole's one of my favorite characters in this whole run, so I don't mind seeing it. But aside from that, the big thing is Electra and Matt fighting the souls of the hand, and they end up defeating them after a long fight. And they're exhausted. They're laying there next to each other. Hey, are you alive? Yeah. It's almost like the Daredevil's version of a sleepover. Like, hey, are you still awake? Yeah, I am. I'm not dead. Okay, that's good. And then. You have Stick come in and say, uh, you know, pretty much a quote unquote marriage ceremony of what this would be with the fist. He says, I declare you king and queen of the reformed fist. After going through a deal, do you relinquish your old life, the way of the world below, to the world above, for the strength of a hand looking inward for the fist? And they say, I do. And then they end up, you know, kind of reaching over and holding hands while I think at this point they still cannot move. They're so exhausted. And where you have them there, you almost get like a heart almost formed with Electra's scarf going and stuff like that. Neat little addition at the end. But it says, now let's get to work. And as you can tell from me going through this, that there's not a ton going on. It It is still big because of what's going on in the book. But overall, quick read. You kind of get to this point, okay, now let's get going. Let's see what's going on. And it feels like this is an issue where it's for Matt. After seeing the stuff with Kirsten and Goldie and all that wacky stuff that led up to this, this is where Matt now, let's leave that behind for a bit and let's move forward with this whole mission of the fist versus the hand, which is, should, and they even mention it, should cross paths with Frank Castle and Akka, all that stuff leading to this. So decent enough. And and again, my score is going to be higher than maybe what you think. I'm going to be an 8.5 for this because I still enjoy Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil a lot. It's one of the best books in comics. I think it's taken a little dip since after Devil's Reign getting to this next bit, but feels like this is maybe the start of, all right, let's start going forward. We had the confusing stuff already. Let's get forward. Let's have some fun. Let's have some action and whatnot. And I do really like the art and all of that. And I said I like Cole North, so we'll see what he is going to do, how he is involved. But that is that, and we'll move on to the next book. All right, and the next book is Ghost Rider number seven. This is going to be quick. It's written by Ben Percy, art by Corey Smith, inks by Oren Jr., colors by Brian Valencia, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. This is a good jumping on point. If you haven't been reading Ghost Rider, and Ghost Rider's been selling very well. So give kudos to Ben Percy. I haven't really enjoyed everything up to this point, but it does feel like this is the start of the real story. We started out with a mystery. What's going on? Johnny's in this Pleasantville type, you know, town with Roxanne. Everything's great, but he knew something was wrong. He was able to break out of that, and then we get a bunch of one shots. Where he kind of wakes up in a town and he has to solve the horrific mystery there. Then he passes out again, wakes up in another town, all leading to this stupid race. And this race where you end up, everybody here, if you race, you get to 
talk to the devil and ask him a question. And most of the people in that race, when you go down and look at it, you're like, why would they even care? And this stupid thing, and if you think that that was great, please, please, and me and Jason mentioned this before, please go back to Ben Percy's Nightwing issues 48 and 49 of the current run. This was right before the Rick Grayson stuff. Ben Percy ended up quitting that book. But those two issues end up being that exact race. Of course, you're not going to talk to the devil. You're going to talk to the Mobius chair there. But even some of the art seemed to have been not actually repurposed, but the same type of deal. You go back and look at those, and it is amazing how lazy, lazy Ben Percy got with this going into that. And pretty much that was almost my jumping off point of the book. I kind of was like, this is nonsense. But this issue, I said, it's a jumping on point. It's kind of a jumping back on point for me as you end up having Talia War Road meet up and team up by the end with Johnny. They're going to go forward to take on Blackheart and his new second in command exhaust. And you get all that in this issue. You even get kind of a recap. It's more of a visual recap. You're not going to know exactly everything that happened leading up to this. But at a point, Talia Warroad, she ends up drugging the coffee of good old Johnny. And I wish that somebody would do that to my coffee. I just ask you people. But he ends up waking up in a hotel room and he is chained up or handcuffed to the bed. You know, not that sexy, but kind of. But you end up where Talia is going to look into his mind. Let's see what led to this. Let's see what's going on here. And you do end up seeing visually all the stuff that happened. And Talia is able to tell that Black Heart ended up getting jealous of Johnny being the king of hell. So he ended up tricking him with this, like I said, Pleasantville type deal. You get Roxanne back, but you have to give me the spirit of vengeance. All this stuff going on to then finally in that stupid race, Wolverine has freed Johnny. He can go off on his own, but in the meantime, you also then create Exhaust and Blackheart and Exhaust are going to go and try to take over the world. So Talia and Johnny are going to have to stop that. And you get a funny play after all this going down and we see what happened and we have Talia tell Johnny exactly what happened and how he'd been manipulated and then says, do you want to join up with me? Part of the FBI. Special agent, Talia War Road. Now I'm looking for an effing partner. Look at me. I got tattoos. I'm goth. I'm right here with you. I, I'm right there on brand. And you end up with this back and forth that makes me laugh so much. Where there's Johnny and she gets the handcuffs off and he's sitting there. He's like, I don't know. I'm pretty dangerous. And then she goes, But I'm dangerous too. I don't know. Pretty dark. I'm dark too. And they just keep going back and forth with this. I'd love to say it was a one up thing. Like you'd have Johnny say, I'm pretty dangerous, and then tell you, I'm more dangerous. But it's kind of an equal type deal to convince Johnny, hey, me and you should partner up. At one point, it was funny where she says, I see a lot of me and you. I thought she was going to continue and saying, I'd like to see a lot of you and me. Oh, my. They don't go that far, but we'll see. We'll see what's going on. I don't know what happens on the road with these two stays on the road. But yeah, they're going to team up, and you end up seeing that, again, Talia, we've seen her throughout this. Talia ends up having her, you know, conspiracy theory murder board, even have the thread going and whatnot. And I'm like, when did they do this? I mean, this seemed to be the whole deal of, you know, finding Johnny in this town or whatever. She got to work with all these paper clippings and things. She's doing the thinker, looking at all this stuff. I think this is all for show. She doesn't have any idea what any of this means, but she's like, okay, let's get to work. And we see what the work is. We see that black heart is there with all those other. And again, when you end up starting that race, that nonsense race, I'll never say that that was good. You ended up having to, oh, there's man thing. Oh, there's Dr. Doom, all that. But now in the end of this, where you do end up having black heart gather to me, my minions now with the race going, where are all those? big guys now now i end up seeing our space lady i end up seeing eye patch guy like these aren't the big hitters that we saw at the but he's like hey everybody i want to introduce you to here you know come on down we got exhaust look at him he's cool right but him and me we're gonna cause some trouble who's with me and then you end <laughs> telling you 
the idea of that race is it just makes me giggle. Ah, so with all that though, this does feel like a new jumping on point. I saw Gabe on the site said that this issue can be skipped. It kind of can be if you've been reading the book. I mean, it felt to me like, okay, here we go. We didn't get much going on. But if you haven't been, and you just want to get the idea of the flavor of it, and the Corey Smith art is really, really good, so you can enjoy that. And even with that, if you haven't been reading, get a little flavor of all this stuff happening, get up to speed, and then go forward. I do suggest grabbing this book then. So it depends on where your readership is. But me having read all that and going forward, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I still like the art. And actually, I'm finally kind of on board with, okay, now we have a story going forward. I like Talia. I make fun of her and stuff like that. Uh, The big play where me and Jason at the beginning, Jason thought that Talia was pretty much in there for just like a joke. Like, oh, man, look at this choke character. She's so over the top. I mean, she really does look like she either went into the hot topics. They said, what can I get you? And she said, yes. I thought that she's kind of cool. He thought she was a joke. No, I said, I don't think Ben Percy has any sense of humor. I think I think that I won that argument, but we'll go forward with all of that. But again, if you haven't been reading and you want a little idea of what's going on here, I think that this is a decent enough issue to jump on and go forward with but we'll go on to the next book all right let's continue with black panther number 10 it is range wars book two of two thank god by the end of this issue i actually thought that possibly uh, unbeknownst to me black panther had been kind of surprise canceled and i got excited then i looked it up oh no it's not i wasn't as excited anymore because this book stinks John Ridley writing, art by Herman Peralta, not Jake. Colors by Jesus Erbatov and letters and design by J- VCs Joe Sabino. Like I said, this book stinks. It's, it's garbage. And it was okay at the beginning. This idea of a story where, oh my God, the secrets and the paranoia of T'Challa has come to bite him in the ass as Wakanda is being turned into a democracy, whatever. It, it, got, it was like the idea John Ridley wanted to get very political but then didn't really know how to tie that into the comic book format. And it was a jumbled mess. It it took too long. At the end, there was barely a payoff. So we go out of that, and I thought, okay, that overlong first story, I get it. You're kind of getting your feet wet. Let's go. And we get into this range wars with this alien colonialist that looks like a Joker smiling Colonel Sanders and this idea of, being a colonizer, going around the planets and subjugating people, things like that. All right, we get it. It's almost too on the nose. And in that, the way that John Ridley wrote it in these two issues, it feels like a joke. It feels like a parody. It feels like he's making fun of what he's actually trying to do. And again, it's a jumbled mess of nonsense. And so into this chapter, into this book two, trying to be fancy you get this buffalo soldier character now if you know american history you'll know about the buffalo soldiers and they'll tell you a little bit about this in this issue but the problem is it barely makes sense for what's going on here so when john ridley does end up telling you about it and telling t'challa he's so happy to learn this information it barely scratches the surface of what's going on But it still doesn't. He can't even mold it into this fully and then has to get out with this backdoor nonsense that happens. But what I wanted to say originally is you have a buffalo soldier, something from American history. So what do you have here? A soldier on a buffalo. I mean, that's how eye rolling this is. My eyes rolled so much during this issue that they hurt. They ended up going to the back of my head and back again. Holy crap. This is just that bad. So you end up having T'Challa, and while the rest of the Avengers are fighting off these what obviously look like old British soldiers that would go and colonize things, again, parody it feels like, you have T'Challa face off against this buffalo soldier, and they have a device that's going to end up wiping out all this. That gets destroyed by the buffalo soldier, and then you have T'Challa call his sister, hey, Shuri. Uh, We're in trouble here. I need some help. The device got destroyed. We need another one. 
I'm fighting a Buffalo soldier. Shuri goes, oh, my God, a Buffalo soldier. Do you know the history of the Buffalo soldiers? Let me send it to you. Now, that's fine and, and dandy, but he's in the middle of a fight. He's running away from this villain who obviously just showed by getting that device actually shows you that he has bullets that can penetrate vibranium. T'Challa's in big trouble. He's running away. And Shuri sends him some Wikipedia entries, maybe a couple dissertations. He stops to read these. He ends up like, oh, my God, thank you for informing me on this information of the past. Uh, you know, and then is going to try to use that to convince this Buffalo soldier not to go with the colonialists. But it gets all warped around to the point where you have T'Challa say, listen, buddy. You're here on your buffalo. You're going to shoot me, but I'm going to give you free will. I'm going to allow you to shoot me because I know with free will, you will decide the right thing. You'll do what's right. You'll you'll see that the colonialist, he has been duping you. And we get a history of the buffalo soldier and what happened on this planet. Do we really care? It's an alien planet. That's just nonsense. And the play of the colonialist, get this, he was duping. The Buffalo Soldier. Oh my goodness. Spoiler alert. So you end up where T'Challa, he takes kind of the, the mask off deal. He hits that. That goes away. And hey, look at me. Just like you. And I'm giving you free will. I don't think you're going to shoot me because you're going to realize right now, since I give you free will, just like Rush sang about all those years ago, you will choose to do the right thing. And the Buffalo Soldier shoots T'Challa. Just shoots him. Him shooting to, he says, Oh my God, I thought you were going to dodge that. Really? How about not shooting him? And because T'Challa didn't dodge it, it convinces the Buffalo soldier to switch sides. Oh my God, the colonialist is wrong because I just shot you and you didn't dodge it. What? What just happened? I mean, you end up then where now he's on his Buffalo. And he's going to go through the streets and take down all of these colonialist, you know, deal and and go. And in the meantime, you do end up having the Avengers, you know, talking to the colonialist while you continue having these females. Please kill us. Please. We'll kill the colonialists. We'll do it for free. We'll do all this. Well, why didn't you do it before? But you end up where this all is settled by the women. Attacking the colonialists and the Buffalo soldier taking down all of the, you know, extraneous soldiers uh, so that he can show that he was good deep down. Now, what happened to T'Challa? Well, he ends up he's off getting surgery. He was shot. He ended up where Steve, we saw that his shield was kind of broken. And Shuri ends up fixing that only to go to Avengers Mountain and say, hey, you know what? My brother's having a hard time here. He lost a friend. I love this idea. And if you have been reading all of this series, you know, God forbid, because I have as well. I know the pain. But you end up where this idea, T'Challa lost his best friend. The best friend that he sent undercover for, you know, all those years and never talked to. But yeah, we'll go with it. And so all this, it's the idea. Just the idea that it ends with the hokiest of hokey lines. Listen, Steve says, I don't know that I'll ever know your brother. And then Shuri goes, you know what? I feel the same way, but I don't even think he knows himself. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. The art's good. So that kind of saves it, but doesn't really save anything. And when I saw End, oh, my goodness, my heart was a flutter. I thought that we had ended the, the reign of terror here. And here's the thing. We've all read books that you end up reading. And it just infuriates you. Oh, my God, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? One of the things would be, for me personally, it's a DC book, but Tom King's Batman run. Read the whole thing and just as it went on, why are you destroying this character? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Because in the meantime, I was fighting with people who seemed to love it. All that kind of changed at the wedding, but we're not here to talk about that. But what I'm saying is, this is kind of the feel of that type of thing, but nobody's reading it. Nobody cares about it. And anything that happens in this, yeah, it'll be referenced in other books, but in passing. Hey there, Black Panther, you have problems in Wakanda? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sucks over there. They don't like me. Uh, but all in all, it's just bad. It's bad. It's so bad. But 
All in all, I'm going to give it a four out of ten. And that's mostly art. If you go and I, I don't go by the, you know, five of that score is art and five is writing. But if I did go that way, you would have the writing being a point five. It's that bad. It's just it's horrible. It's bad. Don't read it. Let's get something else going here. Let's get John Ridley off this book. He's not doing a good job. He really isn't. It sucks. But yeah, we got that a little little pet, not a palate cleanser. That's a palate dirtier. Is, is that what you call it? I don't know. The <laughs> is it the Wolfman? I wish the Wolfman was in this, but we'll move on now to another book. All right. And we'll continue the fun and probably end the podcast with this book, Venom number 11. And I was planning on doing a couple more books, but this has gone on into the night. And it's not that I'm tired. What is happening right now? And I warn you ahead of time. I believe that my medicine has worn off. And if you don't know, that medicine is my ADHD medicine. And I am all over the place. I cannot pay attention to anything right now. And I'm getting very goofy. That kind of part is because I'm tired. But hopefully I can keep on point here and get through this issue because i have tried to record this venom book a bunch of times hopefully this will be the time that sticks it's venom number 11 venom world part one venom world i think one of the worst amusement parks ever if you had an amusement park called venom world i think you'll go out of business and it's written by this is what i'm saying why why am i saying this (laughs) ram v writer Pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Andrew Curry, colors by Alex Sinclair, and in a bit of irony, you have VCs Clayton Cowles, the letterer, in real small letters on the other side of the page. Now, is that ironic? Maybe an Alanis Morissette way, don't you think? It might be. And we get into this issue, and I'm going to give everybody right now a really solid piece of advice. Any mysterious character that shows up in this book is going to be Eddie Brock. There you go. That is a piece of deal that you're probably going to be safe to say right 99.9% of the time. Because last issue with Al Ewing and the cosmic part of this book, because Al Ewing, he likes to go all cosmic. You found out that Bedlam, who is attacking Dylan at this moment, That's Eddie. You have Meridius, who seems to be in control of everything in the Garden of Time. That's Eddie. Eddie is Eddie. Right? And I'm Eddie. You didn't know this, but me, I'm Eddie. Everybody's Eddie, except Dylan, who's dead, pretty much, or brain dead, at least, because Bedlam, who is Eddie, is destroying Dylan. So what you have here is a neat little twist. And I am not a Ram V fan. So if you are, you might be triggered by this review. But I think that Ram V does something really unique and really clever here in having the Venom symbiote and Dylan just get wrecked by Bedlam. So the Venom symbiote is going to skedaddle. It has to get out of there. But before it does, it grabs the consciousness Uh, The soul, even, of Dylan puts it inside of himself and runs, leaving a husk of a body that seems brain dead from the beating uh, behind. So it looks like Dylan is now just a brain dead body that the Life Foundation is going to keep on life support. And really, they just want the symbiote anyway. But at least they're going to keep Dylan, you know, alive. They're going to transfer the body, they say at one point. But they're really centering on let's get that symbiote. Now, what this does and why it's clever is that you have a Freaky Friday switcheroo kind of thing where now the symbiote, the Venom symbiote, is now the host body to the voice in the head, which is now Dylan. And that's kind of a neat thing, though. In this, they're not really talking to each other or are they? Because we end up of the mindscape needing a hooded figure. It's Eddie. There you go. All you have to do is remember that and you'll you'll free and clear. Smooth sailing, they say. But in the meantime, you end up having the sleeper symbiote, my favorite symbiote, actually going around fighting the battle with Dylan, but then trying to find Dylan, trying to save Dylan, ends up in his little cat form, cute as a button, ends up going off to find help and goes to Archer. 
And if you don't remember Archer as the woman, that pretty much, you know, kind of screwed them earlier and kind of set them up to give Dylan to Life Foundation, but then showed she kind of had a bit of a heart of gold. So you end up having the sleeper symbiote go to her and say, I need your help to save Dylan. And really all I need is kind of you to run distraction because I've set this up ahead of time. And that's where we go and see quickly Hank Hensley, friend of Flash Thompson, actually has a piece of the sleeper symbiote in him where then you get this. I don't. Is this clever? Is this hokey? Because what you end up getting is a sleeper agent of the sleeper symbiote, which we'll just call Agent Sleeper. And you end up Hank. He's there single and mingle. He's trying to pick up this lady. He seems like he's doing a really good job, too. But then all of a sudden, he's activated. I am activated. He goes out into the parking lot, becomes this agent sleeper. Looks awesome. But that's where you have this sleeper symbiote say, hey, I got this covered. I have these things going on. I plan for this. So you have that on the side. But what we really want to see is Dylan. And you have Dylan then in the mindscape, in the mind of the Venom symbiote. And, you know, you have this landscape that has this cubazoid chained up in the middle that's kind of float looks like. And it doesn't look like a geode, but I'd like to say it is. And in that, I have I have to step back a second and say one of the reasons that I and I haven't loved this whole Venom deal. We'll talk about that at the end. But one of the reasons why I didn't mind going back and forth between the books is you end up having Al Ewing going cosmic like he does. But then you ended up having the kind of the grounded deal, kind of the street level stuff with Dylan and the Venom symbiote, the sleeper symbiote. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, street level, but it was kind of where you had Dylan going town to town. It reminded me a bit of how they started, how Ben Percy started the Ghost Rider book. You going town to town, making up rhymes, solving crimes, maybe starting gang wars. Right. Stuff like that. Maybe the East Coast rap coast rap war started because of him. I don't know. But. He was going around and doing more of a grounded thing. And it was a nice little juxtaposition with the stuff that Al Ewing's doing cosmically. When you go into the mindscape of the symbiote and you ha- it's starting to kind of not be street level anymore. And it's kind of like, oh, now we're doing this mind screw. I thought that the mind screw was supposed to be the garden of time. Now we're here. It did throw me off a little. But what really threw me off is something that Ram V does a lot. He gets a narration going here that is a little more pretentious and pompous than the character is actually thinking it or saying it. This is Dylan in this mindscape. And it's not totally awful. And it's not all of the narration, but there's a couple little things of narration that does not feel like Dylan. Dylan, who's a kid, rough around the edges, hard of gold. He's there, like I said, and you end up having things like this. And he's heading towards this cubazoid that's all chained up in the middle. He seems like he knows to go there. He doesn't know how he got to where he is. He doesn't know how long he's been out, whatnot. But he starts heading towards this thing. And it's pretty much the big thing of this landscape. So he's going to go see what it's all about. And he says, I may not know how I got here, but I know where I'm going, which I swear to God might be a U2 song. But in that, he says, in the distance, looming on the horizon is a, a maddening structure of impossible angles and weights. Who is that? That does not sound like Dylan. And I just imagine if he's not in this mindscape, he's kind of going around, you know, the U.S. with his dad, Eddie, and they end up pulling into St. Louis and they see the arch and he's like, Dad, Dad, that looks like a maddening structure of impossible angles and weights. I think at that point, Eddie drops him off and it doesn't look back. He's <laughs> like, you ain't no son of mine. I'm out of here. He even goes even more because as he gets closer, you end up having like a World War Z type deal of all these symbiotes just coming out and heading towards him to attack. And as they're coming, he kind of turns to run at one point before he's overwhelmed. But he says, I can sense their malevolence, the rage, the threat of violence. Oh, can you? Again, something that I would never think or ever hear from anything. Involving Dylan It's a little too flowery It's a little too over the top And it just makes me think That I don't know Ram V wants to make this more flowery He wants to make it more intelligent somehow But he already did a pretty cool thing But this doesn't feel like Dylan to me And so what you have happen is Dylan starts fighting back 
One of the plays here that is mentioned is that he kind of makes like a symbiote sword arm. You know, you've seen all the symbiotes do this at points, but this is Dylan, hoodie, jeans, and doing it. That should be something big. It is almost pointed out to be something special, but you're in the mindscape here. You're in the Venom symbiote. It lessens the idea of how crazy or special that is because it's not really real. But then you end up having this purple robed figure come out of nowhere and pretty much starts doing the Obi-Wan when you have Luke getting attacked by sand people. I mean, it's almost exact. And in that, I still wonder what Obi-Wan's doing at that point, that whistle and stuff like that. And I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I haven't really read into a lot of expanded universe and things like that. I'm sure that they have explained this. What I think it is, is he's, you know, singing one of those crazy, like everybody has that song that triggers them. The Sand People probably have that song as well. It's probably like the Sand People's version of like Cotton Eye Joe or like Barbie Girl. It's something real ridiculous. And what the Sand People do is scatter because they're afraid they're going to start a hoedown because really those songs are pretty awesome, but you don't want to admit it, right? So they don't want to look bad in front of their Sand People friends. What are those Sand People friends going to say? But in this, you just have this hooded figure come out. If you don't realize that this is going to end up being Eddie, you go back to the beginning and follow my rules. Any mysterious character is going to be Eddie. This is Eddie. He comes out, and at first, he's being mysterious. I'm the keeper. Oh, the keeper, are you? Oh, who gave you that nickname? It's one of those. I think that Eddie himself gave him that nickname. And really, it's the worst when people give themselves a nickname. You can't do that. But from now on, I want you to call me. Rocky Joe. I don't know. I was going to come up with a neat nickname, but I couldn't get killer. Eh, see, see, it doesn't work. It, I just proved it. So he comes out and he says, I'm the keeper. My favorite keeper of all time is Sylvester Stallone in the movie Victory. He ended up at halftime while they were not beating the Germans. He was going to leave. That was their escape. But Pele and the rest of them said, we can beat the Germans. He stayed. Then they escaped anyway. Spoiler alert to something I don't think anybody knows what I'm talking about. This is why we're ending after this book. I'm all over the place. But you end up having the keeper, which is Eddie, say, hey, buddy, you see that thing there? It's the Clintar. You know what that is? That means cage. Yep, we know that. We know that from, you know, a better run, which I mean the dining kids run prior to this. But you end up where this keeper says that you kind of have to fight your way out of here. I need you to do that. You got to get to this cage. You got to free the Venom symbiote. In the meantime, I'm the Venom symbiote. You're going to have to fight through me, your father. Here we go. The end uh, to be continued. So you have that. But again, and as that's happening, you do end up having Dylan making that sword arm again. He's going to attack. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But I don't know. This is a lot of setup. It's It's the first part of this Venom world hate that name but you have some neat little twists and turns so even though I'm kind of crapping on all this I actually like it enough I just wish that you would go forward with the story overall if I sat there and somebody said hey what's been happening in the Venom book since Al Ewing and Ram V uh, started up I'd probably just lie to them what hasn't happened I mean really what haven't they done I, I really wouldn't be able to explain much of this. It's kind of a mess at the moment. It's kind of a thing where it's, it's weird. It's like so much has happened, but nothing at all has happened. It's this weird deal. I don't even know what the elevator pitch would be anymore here. I just kind of want something that I can wrap my head around a bit. And this thing of the of the mind deal, I can go and the agent sleeper. That's kind of cool. So I hope that after this, it's going to be something that hits a little more for me. But we're 11 issues in. And I'm still waiting for the big stuff to go and and not get mind screwed, all that. The book looks great, but overall, kind of do wish that you'd have not changed this up. And I know that, you know, writers want to get on different books and whatnot, but boy, I really like Donny Cates' Venom more than this. And I really like Al Ewing's Hulk more than the stuff that we're getting from Donny Cates. So it's like already the lesser of everything you end up having that deal and it's just kind of funny that they flip-flop the books or whatever but i don't think either are hitting now and the immortal hulk was huge at one point it was that deal of 
oh my god, it's selling more than Batman, but also Venom was the big surprise hit of Fresh Start. Fresh Start. You ended up having more people reading Venom than you ever would have thought. It got so big and so popular that they were able to have a huge event, King and Black, out of it. All that stuff, and now both books kind of are kind of getting pushed down and down and down. I'm not saying sales or whatnot. I'm more saying hype and people talking. And it's kind of a weird deal because Ram V is so revered over at DC, but over at Marvel with this Venom book and the Carnage book, not as much. And it it just shows you that some companies are better for other people. Some characters are better for some writers and whatnot. But I don't think that Ram V is jiving as well with Venom or Carnage than, say, a Swamp Thing that he had over at DC. So it's a shame. But overall, again, it's a weird one to score, but I'm going to give a six, a six out of 10. A lot of that is art, but it's okay. We'll see where it goes from here. But with that, that is the end of the podcast. I need to go to bed. I need to reset my batteries, get my focus in. And when I say that, I didn't really, it's been a while since I even talked about it, but I have severe Severe ADHD, which causes me to have a lot of problems recording things on my own. It's funny, when I end up recording with somebody else, the host, I end up being able to focus more because I'm talking to them when I'm doing it. But when I'm by myself doing this, I am. Uh, if I did have a camera, you would see it would drive everybody nuts. I do not sit still. I'm all over the place. I just can't. And it drives me insane by the end. And it really ends up exhausting me which that's what i am right now so i'm kind of apologizing because i did want to do some more books but i think that the two books that i was gonna do here i'm gonna push to the next episode that would be punisher war journal brother and namor number one i promise i'll do namor number one at least not a real christopher cantwell fan but that's a big number one in my mind so i'll do that punisher war journal torn Gronback. and i will say i may throw that in there because the next episode which will be on sunday we'll end up you know doing this week's books and there's a lot more bigger and fun books there but we'll see i'll try to but i'll get that name more in i promise so with that thanks everybody please go over to the twitters at ws marvel comics follow us we'll follow you back go to our uh, website where it's science marvelcomics.com and read reviews of books that come out each and every week from marvel mainly done by my man gabe And then go to our Patreon if you want more and more shows. And if you listen to this, the X-Men show, the Star Wars show, or even the DC stuff, the manga stuff, all of that, you can give us a little, you know, a little love. Show that you appreciate all that, but get a ton in return. Each level on the Patreon has a bunch of podcasts, a ton of podcasts, a lot of Marvel stuff, but everything else. To everything under the sun, it is. But yeah, check that out, patreon.com slash weird science. All the links and all that will be in the show notes, including some links. I think I'll start putting links to the DC show and stuff like the manga stuff if you want to get involved with that. But that's it. Got to get out of here. This is way too long. But uh, thanks, everybody. And I will talk to you uh, later. Go read comics. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.